from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 58, recorded November the 30th, 2023, and brought to you by Factor. I am your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell, and with me, as always, is Julia Alexander, director of strategy at Parrot Analytics. Julia, are, where in the world are you, and are they <laughs> feeding you there? <laughs> I I did just gorge on a bunch of um, unsalted pistachios, so thriving. But um, the luxury, the luxurious life I lead. I just I'm I'm in my apartment, um, as as I'm sure our listeners will be able to tell from sirens. That's awesome. Yeah, the traffic noises. But I just got back um, from Boston, actually, where um, once a year I go up and I give a talk to the um, MBA students at at MIT about data and analytics and this this the sphere of streaming and so kind of like this podcast but geared towards people uh, at mit yeah that's awesome it's like a yeah yeah, in-person podcast to business students that's cool and you've got more travel i mean it it is amazing that we get uh that that when we when we get together and you're at home um but we did it next one will not be at home for you but we'll we'll we'll, we're gonna work it out uh but you're home i feel like it's i'm home it's all good. I feel like it's rare that you and I are both home. I feel like either you're traveling or I'm traveling. I know, right? Well, we did it today. We did it. Good for us. Pat on the back. <laughs> How was your Thanksgiving? Um, it was great. Uh, we went to Denver, and it was nice. uh, it was a beautiful day, uh, sunny and cool. And then it started to snow overnight, and uh, yeah, and, and that was good. How was yours? It was great. It, I went to um, Kev's family in Long Island, and it, I watched football and ate food oh, and yes. fell asleep in the car. It was great. We are going to talk about Thanksgiving football in a little while, but not yet. Um, <laughs> our our first topic I wanted to bring up is is about it's the holiday season now, post-Thanksgiving especially. It is officially the holiday season. And you wrote a piece of puck called The Christmas Streaming Miracle. And I, I think this is really great because we need to talk about what, you know, you're, you're doing analytics, you're analyzing data. That's your job. That's why you're the director mm. of strategy. And we all as like civilian TV watchers are like, Oh, Christmas season, Christmas movies are on and specials are on and new Hallmark movies are on. And, you know, and as a consumer, you're just sort of like, well, yeah, it's just the season. But if you view it analytically, you have to think about why are they on? And they're on because it works. People mm-hmm. want to watch TV. You had a stat in your piece that said that like more people, the, people watch more hours of TV in during Christmas week last year than they did in, in the entire March of COVID. Yeah. Is, Isn't that a wild whoa. stat? So, so tell me, I mean, in a streaming era, it used to be obviously like the networks would put on Christmas movies and the cable channels would put on Christmas, you know, TBS would do the Christmas story marathon and all of that. But in a streaming world context, what are the streamers looking at and, and how, how are their strategies playing out in terms of fulfilling this audience? Because there is a, you know, the, uh, here in America, it's the moment after Thanksgiving is over, like begin playing the Christmas things for, mm-hmm. you know, until the end of the year, that's going to be happening. Yeah, there's I've spoken about this on the on on the podcast before, but there's this idea of high value, high impact, high conversion audiences. These audiences are super rare and they tend to happen in limited windows. Um, The example that we use quite often at my company is sports. 
and specifically like the NFL college football, those are audiences that um, high impact because they are deeply engaged with what's happening. They are high reach because you've got uh, it's it, football in the United States is probably the closest thing to monolith entertainment that we have. Um, I would say the same for football in Europe, probably uh, when you look across European culture. Um, and then you, when you look at high conversion, it is what is the impact of advertising or promotional tie-ins to that audience because they're really engaged with the programming. And so sports is, is the main takeaway for a lot of that. But actually, if you kind of zone out a little bit, holiday films are really, really versatile and they accomplish a lot. And most importantly, they accomplish a lot of what I just mentioned very cheaply. If you look at what the average cost of a holiday film is, it's like you can do it for a million, you can do it for two, three million. And think about, you know, everyone listening to this has probably seen a Lifetime movie or a, a Hallmark mo- channel movie um, around the holidays, right? Big city girl ends up going to small town, falls in love with like the doctor and then ends up moving to the small town. Like we know the concept we of do. it. And what we need to think about with that is because you can cast really relatively unknown actors and you can build those actors into an ongoing universe and you can create dozens and dozens and dozens of these films for a very limited budget, the return on that overall investment from a longevity standpoint, from an amortization standpoint, is actually quite high, especially when you think about the cadence of the engagement over the course of two, three months, really, and really those last six weeks of what Jason was talking about between Thanksgiving and and New Year's. Um, And so because of that, who is really invested in this is advertisers. And so when I wrote this piece for Puck, the question that kind of came up was, you know, how important are holiday movies to streaming services? And and they've always been important. That's why you see Netflix really invest in this space, because they know that they can reach a really high audience or wide audience. They know they can do this globally. Um, the holidays are kind of a universal story. Family is a universal story. Um, religion, depending on if you want to incorporate that and what, what region you're in, can be a really universal story, of course, as well. And so they've invested heavily in creating their own Christmas universe. Um, these films also subsidize for Netflix a lot of their film investment because they are so cheap to make and because they have such strong return. They can kind of use that to do some of their more expensive bigger fare that might not have as I have a return or has a much lower, um, or excuse me, a much uh, less strong amortization aspect to it. But also, there's this quote from the lead programmer of the Hallmark Channel, who I believe came from Netflix. Like, I think she kind of came from Netflix. And the the line I really, but don't quote me on that because I could, I could be wrong. But the line I really like from her is that um, there is a, a cup of hot cocoa in every shot. And so right. when you hear that, if you're a Christmas person, like I am a huge or holiday person, I'm a huge Christmas person. It's my favorite time of year. If you hear that, you're kind of immediately filled with warmth and you're kind of like, oh, the holidays, like I know exactly what that 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 inspires in me. That feeling is what advertisers chase for brand awareness. So a cup of cocoa in every shot is not just, oh, I feel really good. A cup of cocoa in every shot is I can sell a cup of cocoa in every shot. Mm-hmm. I can sell a new car. I can sell whatever it's going to be. So as streaming services think about all of these advertising components, as they launch their ad-supported tiers, as they think about how that where they can charge really strong advertising rates to be a part of this programming, the holiday films are really crucial. And, and so, Jason, I think the question that I have, because I approach this from an analytical standpoint, is are you or is the family a holiday movie family? Uh, we have some standards, but we are not a we are not a Hallmark or or Lifetime or Netflix style sort of like lower budget TV movie holiday. I have friends who are. We are not that kind of family. We do have some standards. Most of them are things that we've already sort of like bought. 
Um, but uh, there sometimes you have something where you're like, oh, I wonder if that's on somewhere. You know, Charlie Brown is. Well, I think right. we did buy Charlie Brown, but he's also on Apple TV Plus, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you can find. I mean, you you listed last year: Nightmare Before Christmas, Home Alone, The Grinch, and Die Hard. Die Hard's one of my one of my preferences. No arguments about if it's a Christmas movie or not. I don't want to hear it, but it's a it's a great movie, and it's an excuse to watch it. Um, so so not so much, but I do know people who who absolutely love it, and this is how also. And people will know this from having listened to this show. I'm a gigantic nerd. And one of the things I, I yep. do like to do is I have a playlist of the Doctor Who Christmas specials. And that I actually do watch. Oh, so yeah. oh, how about that? Right. They've got like 10 of them now. So that's my that's my Hallmark Christmas special is the is the Doctor Who Christmas specials. But I want to do a shout out, by the way, to uh, my college friend, Julie Sherman Wolf, whose job it is to write a, a Hallmark movies. That's her job. Incredible. And That's the ideal job. That's her, like being told you get to like hang out with Mario all day. But, and unlike a lot of Hollywood jobs, I think where you're like a screenwriter and you're like, oh, is it going to sell? And they buy it and they don't do anything with it or they kick you off of it and bring in somebody else and all that. My impression is that with Hallmark, I'm sure it's not like super easy, but my impression is she's pretty much just constantly employed writing the script for the next Hallmark movie. She's got one or two on her credits list every year. And so if you're if you're curious about my friend from college who I sat in many communication classes with, Julie. Um, her new movie is called Hanukkah on Rye. And here's the log line. A matchmaker connects Molly and Jacob, but their new romance is put to the test when they realize they are competing deli owners. Will oh, a Hanukkah love. miracle keep them together? Uh, she also writes Christmas movies, but I, I, I laughed at the, the Hanukkah on Rye. I was like, yes, of course. Because again, holiday, you want to have a mix. You want to have a bunch of different, like there, there's a whole programming aspect to it. But oh, like, yeah. this is why it, it, I know there are a lot of people probably among our audience we have people who are like oh yes i love them all and there are also people who are like oh that stuff is junk who cares and i mean the thing is it first off it takes all kinds and second there is something to be said for having the kind of you know it's it's a happy easy watch it's something that you can just turn on sometimes it's laundry folding or it's decorating the tree or it's on in the background while you're making eggnog it's that kind of thing and the numbers are there if you want to get cold hard uh stats involved the numbers are there there's enormous demand and as you pointed out in your column demand uh, demand can help with limiting churn and it can help with keeping an uh, affinity like, oh, the, that Netflix has a really good selection of Christmas movies. I'm going to stick with them or whoever your streamer is that you're evaluating. If you're unhappy with their holiday movie selection, that that's a strike against them. But as we ramp up these um, these ad tiers, you know, people tuning in and, and having enormous demand during the holiday product buying season is has huge value it's enormous value on the on the ad supported front and and i think something you pointed out that's really important or that i found really interesting in in my research for this piece was you know jason mentioned that they have some standards which by the way i think is the greatest double entendre because he was like we have our standards that we go to and i also like assumed that he's like we have standards well you know, i mean we it don't depends you can, i mean uh, there are there are even good and bad doctor who specials don't get me wrong but it's, yeah you know oh. it's like the, the old standards too right your your uh christmas uh, like uh like it's a wonderful life which i think is uh not that great but uh miracle it's okay but miracle on 34th street i think is great it's one of the best well and- uh, you know, right. Well, All and, and this thing, and, and what what I like about the term standards is that it it can apply to two things. I think it can apply to 
these types of films that we really associate with really strong, long lasting, um, generationally adored movies. And so I think of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Sure. I think of Mir- Miracle on 34th. Uh, obviously Home Alone, Nightmare Before Christmas. And these titles are amongst the most pirated films, uh, especially in 2022 when I looked at the numbers for it. They were some of the most in demand and, and most consumed via a peer-to-peer streaming titles, sure. which was not too surprising. Um, Home Alone 2, really high up there as well, huh. um, higher than, than Home Alone. Um, but the what was really interesting was that the holiday season programming is one of the only types of programming where IP does not really matter, right? So like there's right. the Grinches and there's the Home Alones. And so there's the aspects, you know, in the Santa Clauses where you're like, oh, there is a, a, a an IP that we can play into and there's an audience for it. But what makes Hallmark and Netflix and Life uh, – um, the lifestyle channel, the lifetime channel, excuse me, what makes them really, really successful is because they don't have this, this other IP, because they can bring in writers like Jason's friend, Julie, who can kind <laughs> of write a bunch of these every single year. And because they can use actors who are not really well known, they get to do these extremely cheaply. And the audience is actually very, very interested in those. Yeah. So to Jason's point, they'll throw them on. Well, you know, I think about I, I put up my tree last week after Thanksgiving. And obviously, I put on, you know, I'm making like cookies, and I'm, I've got music going from Christmas, and I've got Charlie brown in the background and so there's that aspect of like oh i feel like i'm in this mood for the next five weeks like this is what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna put it on when i've got nothing else to do and it's just one of those few genres where ip does not really matter because the ip is a tree and a guy in yeah. a red suit yeah, right I, like like it's, it's i was it's gonna say uh, we talk a lot about like franchises and netflix trying to find them and disney having them and and all of that like the franchise here is first off public domain and second it is the most powerful you know one of the most powerful franchises which is christmas or the holidays and and everybody can take advantage of it and and when you say that the intellectual property doesn't matter it doesn't have to be tied to some continuity or anything like that you're you know you're absolutely right because the intellectual property is the holidays and all the trappings of the holidays that's what the and so that's all it's it's fascinating to think about it like this is the one time when Netflix turns out does have a great franchise it's christmas well and as i said <laughs> before what works well for Netflix which is still trying to figure out its film strategy is a lot of these types of movies so the holiday is a big big part of it if you look at the Netflix top 10 over the last I think it was the last two or three weeks the number one and number two movie has been this film called best period or wor- it's either best period Christmas period ever period or like worst period like it's what it's one of those um which always makes me think of the newsroom but uh so so that's been you know a top globally streamed film and, and as you watch the Netflix numbers go from, the, from about the point of just before Thanksgiving to New Year by the time it hits the week week of Christmas, eight to nine of the top 10 titles, about 80 to 90 percent of the top 10 most streamed titles around the globe on Netflix are holiday films and and the holiday films that Netflix is mostly produced. So you think about the engagement that Netflix is getting on this and the fact that they can kind of surface it up every single year and, and how cheap it is to produce these films. And it really allows them to subsidize a lot of their other investment in some of these film plays that Jason and I have talked about on this podcast, where we kind of try to make the math work for a lot of them. And it's not just Christmas. We see this with a lot of um, some of the teen movies that they do as well, right? Like, be, like, uh, um, uh, to all the boys I love before it really became a huge thing was a relatively cheap movie for Netflix and its partner. I think it was Sony as its partner to create because it was relatively unknown actors and they had to buy the IP, but the IP was relatively cheap. And so they could kind of go in and they created this whirlwind and it's a really great move for them. Teen um, films in particular can be really cheap depending on the IP that it's coming from because you can cast relatively unknown actors to, to kind of go for it. But 
the holidays, you really get that high impact, high volume, um, high conversion audience. So that becomes very important, especially again to the advertiser. So it's 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 funny because I think Jason started this segment with the most important part, which is like, there's, there, you know, when I got that question from my editor at Puck, Matt Bellany, who um, kind of just came to me and he was like, you know, how important is holiday programming? And it's one of those questions where you immediately want to go, well, everyone watches it, right? Like, like Jason and I, like, and I'm sure yeah. everyone listening to this goes, yeah, well, obviously, like, you, you know, people watch holiday stuff. But when you really dig into the financial aspect of it, when you really dig into the data of the consumption patterns and, and who these audiences are and what they're really seeking out, you kind of begin to understand how this period of time is really crucial to the Q4 slate. Um, the other thing I didn't really get into as much in the piece, but I think it's, it's super important, you know, um, traditionally streaming services, especially Netflix would save a lot of their big titles for, for Q4. Um, part of that is that you have the holiday season. So more people are at home. If you look at some of those numbers from even from NFL games, like on Thanksgiving, they're just having, you know, 30, 40 million viewers. And that's because Americans are sitting around their TV sets. They're at home with their families. And so that kind of carries through the holiday season in December. But there's also this aspect of people are going to these platforms more often than not to find some holiday programming and they want to be able to tune to something. And so by bringing some of these big titles to the platform and using that hyper-engaged audience who's already there to then say, hey, well, we have you, we have this new title, you actually can spend a little bit less on the marketing and your customer acquisition cost goes down a little bit. So there's this huge just like cataclysmic effect, right, of what happens with holiday programming and some of these other titles that we don't think about. And so although we on the surface go, yeah, of course, holiday programming is important. People want to watch Santa Claus. They want to watch stories about uh, uh, Hanukkah. They want to watch stories about um, their, what their family does around the holidays. They want to see themselves reflected in these stories. It's also a massive business venture for all these other products that these companies are investing in, whether it's an advertising tier, whether it is a shoppable system. So um, NBC Universal and Peacock, it has AI that actually says, hey, if you want to buy this, here's a QR code, you can just scan it and go and buy it. And we're just going to show you exactly what it is as you're hovering over it. Like they've got that system. Um, or whether it's, hey, we've got this new marquee TV series or film that we're really excited about and you're already here and we're just going to surface it to you. We don't have to really mark it to bring you in. All of this is effectively like the holiday film industry complex, and it is just massive. So, so it's it's fun to think about um, when you're watching one of these movies how important this silly little movie is. I always call them, and I love holiday movies, but as these silly little movies, what the impact they really have on some of these massive conglomerates. Right. I uh, I'm looking at it now. Four of the top ten for the week of November twentieth to twenty sixth, and in. Uh, English language films on yep. Netflix are Christmas movies, and yep. they're Doctor Seuss's The Grinch is in there, but the other three are um, are lower budget Netflix, you know, again Hallmark style um, films, and some of them have bigger names attached, and some of them don't. But in the end, they're doing really well. I mean, when you can drop Best Christmas Ever and get fourteen <laughs> million views in a week, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, right? Because that exactly. didn't cost that much. This episode of Downstream is brought to you by Factor. This holiday season, while you're watching those streaming holiday movies, you might be looking for nutritious, convenient meals to keep you energized on your jam-packed days. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and it can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, you'll eat well, and you will stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all of those holiday to-dos. They have sent me a couple of boxes now. 
quality of the ingredients is amazing. I can eat them instead of having to make myself a sandwich or trying to like pick through what what is there even in my house anymore because I work at home. Uh, you know, two minutes in the microwave and I've got like high quality ingredient meal ready to go. My wife takes the factory meals to work because again, two minutes in the microwave and she's got her lunch at work and she works evenings. So she's also got a very limited like time on her evening day for dinner. Just pop the factor in the microwave two minutes. Great food, high quality ingredients, healthy ingredients. With Factor, you can skip the stress of meal prepping over the holidays. Their meals are fresh. They are never frozen. They are ready in two minutes, like I said. And more than 35 different flavor-packed options to choose from. And if you want special occasion meals during the holidays, get this. You can level up with Gourmet Plus options prepared to perfection by chefs and ready to eat in record time. Plus, you can keep your energy up with lunch to go. Factors effortless wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers. No microwave even required for those. And then to finish your order, choose from more than 45 different add-ons, including breakfast items, most important meal of the day, apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, smoothies, all sorts of stuff. And you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Factor offsets 100% of the delivery emissions to your door and source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices. So get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in two minutes. No prep, no mess just great meals fast head to factormeals.com slash downstream 50 and use code downstream 50 to get what does the 50 mean jason what does it mean 50 percent off your first box that's code downstream 50 at factormeals.com slash downstream 50 to get 50 percent off your first box thank you to factor for supporting Downstream and Relay FM. Okay, before we go, time for a couple quick letters. This letter is from listener Jackson. Uh, Jackson from the 00644. That's Wellington, New Zealand. Been there. What do you think of the rise of independent creator owned streamers like Nebula and Dropout TV? And how mm. do you see these indie sites faring in the age of? of the i think great rebundling what do you think about about things like nebula and dropout i think i think they're real interesting and we've talked a little bit about niche streaming services before I, you know i i'm rooting for them what do you think about their uh their prospects i think they remind me quite a bit of puck actually and kind of these <laughs> newsletter services right where they're i i, I drop dropout's a really great one um i know a few of the people over at dropout and they have um wouldn't say an insanely large i mean definitely large but not you know huge um fan base but a dedicated fan base yeah, well, like that exactly, fan right? base will go out and support them in any mm -hmm. way that they do it kind of reminds me of um what's the D, &D game is it critical critical role, critical role. yeah and they've got a DD game on dropout so yeah this is dropout yeah. which formerly was college humor but it's basically a completely new thing now um and yeah and yeah and we talked about um like uh oh what's the now i'm blanking on it the horror streamer, oh, um, oh Shudder. Shudder, right. Like, they, yeah. I mean, niche streamers and in your BritBox and your Acorn and like, they're not playing the same game as the big guys. And I think that that's okay, right? Because they've got a smaller audience, but it's super dedicated. 
Yeah, and that's exactly it. It makes me think of the Substack business. It makes me think of, you know, it, with Puck, I think our readers um, are a very specific reader base. And obviously, we are always trying to to grow it and, and, and bring in new readers into the into the fold. Um, but there is a really strong connection and relationship between the writers, you know, think of someone like Matt Bellany, of um, Dylan Byers, of, of Bill Cohen, of um, Tina Nguyen, think of these writers and the the relationship they with their readers. Um, there's a, a sense of, you know, we could probably charge more and, and not saying that we're going to do that by any means, but we probably could charge more and people would stay in there is a business model that works within a niche setting. And so I think niche works as well as your um, OPEX and CAPEX don't uh, you know, your, your content costs and, and your operational costs um, don't cost more than the money that you are bringing in. And so this typically works well with small teams. It typically works well with small budgeted shows um, with a hardcore fan base that is willing to supplement income in, in a lot of different ways. And so I think for the most part, it really works for a few of them on a standalone basis. I think for others, and Shudder's a great example. So Jason, thank you for mentioning it. Um, kind of work well within a larger bundle. And so this idea that, you know, eventually AMC, AMC Plus, right, kind of has Shudder and, and IFC and, and Sundance. And you can go to each of those individually, um, but you can also just go to AMC. I think you still can. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But you can also go to AMC Plus and you get a bunch of other stuff. And so it all depends on the overall cost versus uh overall the ability to generate profit or or just you know revenue into the ideally pure profit from some of these streamers so niche can work it really is just a, a balancing act um, but i like it and i think if you can create those types of, of relationships with fans and you can kind of move it off of a platform like youtube um all the power to you yeah absolutely it's uh i think we're all focused on the big names but there's lots of other interesting things happening in video content enabled by streaming and includes lots of stuff that would not have been possible because of scale before where you can find audiences and this is like i do a whole podcast network about pop culture stuff that's to narrow audiences but they love it and including yeah. a D podcast relay is a tech podcasting network it's a narrow audience this podcast itself a very narrow audience but like really interested in the topic and so beyond your Disney Pluses and your Netflixes, right? There are going to be these other organizations that they don't need to find a hundred million people. They need to find a hundred thousand people and they can make it work. So I think it's a great thing about this and we should, uh, from time to time, pay attention to that part of it. It's just a different game at a different scale, but it is enabled by all of this stuff, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. uh, one more Agreed. letter, Claude from the 310. Thank you. I love these uh, area codes. Keep them coming. Claude wrote, I enjoyed your discussion about Disney and Hulu. It does sound like both will be combined into a new app like what Max did. The general consensus online is it's going to resemble the international version of Disney Plus with a tile to get into Hulu or Star. Given your point about Disney being niche and Hulu being broad, doesn't it make more sense for it to be the other way around? And if so, why hasn't Disney done this internationally with Star being the main brand and Disney being a tile? Love to your mothers. This is an interesting little spin on the on the whole Disney Hulu branding is if Hulu's mainstream and Disney is niche uh, for uh, families and stuff, why would you integrate Hulu into Disney and not Disney into Hulu? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's very, very interesting i think at the end of the day 
uh, Disney still has a larger presence. And I also think you can create more uh, globally. And I think you can also create more um, eventification around Disney titles in a way that you still can't do with Hulu titles. I also think that there's a way to, I mean, I don't, so I haven't seen the product yet, uh, at least at the time of the recording this. Um, so I actually don't know what it looks like. Uh, but I imagine that as more people use it day in and day out, what the homepage looks like on Disney Plus will be a collection of different titles from different parts. And so it'll kind of look more like Netflix than anything else with the tiles at the top. That almost feels um, like Warner Brothers Discovery. If you go to HBO, oh, sorry, if you just go to Max, I think if you scroll down like all the way you get to the tiles right we get to go into like harry potter or you get to go into ghibli like they have their tiles there dc um and i suspect that's kind of what eventually disney plus and hulu will kind of feel like as a homepage. you'll go in and this will be you know here's what you're watching here's what's recommended here's a, a stuff for kids here's stuff for you as an adult you know whatever you, whatever filters you may have on um and then the tiles will still be at the top for you to easily search and, and section off by but I don't think Hulu has a recognition. Whether or not it has more recognition than Star is debatable. I think that was, you know, that was Bob Chapek's idea at the time was that right. Star was more recognized globally. And maybe that's the case, right? I haven't done analysis on that. That, that could be the case. But I also don't think um, Hulu is has a greater recognition outside of the United States than Star does. Uh, and so saying, hey, this is now a Hulu app. I think there's a lot of people who see Disney and they open up the Disney app, even if they don't know what they want out of Disney. They're like, that's oh, Disney. There's something in there for how i'm feeling right now or there's kids coming over i can put it on or there's just an aspect of it feels like there's a disney app versus a hulu app you get into a point of like well what is hulu what do i what's on hulu if i open that up what am i going to get uh, what am i going to be searching for and so i think all of that like uh um psychological marketing plays a factor into what they'd go with um but at the end of the day it's the walt disney corporation not the hulu yeah, corporation that, that, i and think so, that's i think that's it and there's a difference between marketing and brand recognition and the uh, broader or narrower audience, right? So there's Disney Plus, but there's the Disney brand and there's the Hulu content. And yeah, I think I, it, it's an interesting problem and they are still, my understanding is, right, they're, they're going to still have the Hulu app for people who want that. But what they really want you to do is get the bundle. And presumably, if the bundle has Disney and Hulu content in it, there will be a top level landing page that will show you all the content. And it won't feel like it does now where it's, all Disney Plus content, right? Because it won't be. It'll be Disney Plus and Hulu, and it probably won't be, I would say, segmented in the same way it is, where it's like literally like after National Geographic comes Hulu. Like in the long run, there will probably be other sub brands and there's going to be different navigation and it'll feel a little more integrated if you're subscribed to the bundle. But Disney is the brand and it is the corporation. And some of that is true. The brand name is amazing. And some of that is corporate ego that's the name of the company that's who signs the checks so for those reasons i think it's the way it is but that's a great yeah. great point by claude thank you for writing in if you have a question for us go to downstreamfeedback.com we love to hear from you and we try to answer uh, at least a few of your letters so send them in we love to get them if uh you are not 
a downstream plus subscriber, you missed a bunch of great stuff in this episode. We talked about uh, Black Friday, Amazon, the NFL, and uh, the future of retail therapy via your phone and your remote control. It was a really interesting conversation. And uh, we talked about YouTube and uh, Sunday Ticket. And we talked about uh, the massive changes potentially happening to sports because of the continuing decline of regional sports networks. You will get all of that uh, because every other episode, most of the show is available just for supporters. To support us, go to downstream.plus. You get the full version of every single episode, access to the Relay FM Discord bonus shows from Relay FM, and much more. But that brings us to the end of this episode. You can find Director of Strategy Julia at parrotanalytics.com and puck.news. You can find me at sixcolors.com, and I appear on many other podcasts at Relay FM and theincomparable.com. But that brings us to the end this time. Uh, everybody out there, and Julia, you too, enjoy your holiday movie streaming because <laughs> apparently everybody's doing it. Um, yeah, I I literally have so – poor Kevin has to sit through so many movies. And I cry in all of them and he looks at me like I'm an insane person and he's like, what's happening with you? And I'm like, oh, this is the beautiful. And it just it, – I – love if anyone loves the holidays like i love the holidays i hope you have the best next few weeks and you get to just soak it all in i get to live in new york city and so i get to go look at the macy's windows and the tree at 30 rock and i get to just be in in the center of it go see the rockettes go all do the fun stuff and i feel incredibly lucky every single year um if you can't do that i hope you get to do whatever your town or your city does every year it's really exciting and spend time with family and friends and drink hot chocolate if you can uh, oh, yeah. and just just enjoy all the fun movies uh peacock here's my plug i don't okay. work for NBC uni they're not a client peacock has the hallmark channel as a partner so if you like those little movies um it's not a bad time to sign up for peacock Boom. even if it's just for the month it's uh what 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 was the name? It's the Hanukkah on Rye by Julie Sherman Wolf. Uh, you Rye. gotta check that out because you know they own delis. Oh, can they get along? Uh, it's like you've got mail except with delis instead of bookstores, I guess. But it's fine. It's great. It's nobody nobody uh, sue anybody. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, until next time. <laughs> Bye, Julia. Have a good time. Bye, Jason. <laughs> 